Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, what's going on, my man? Not so much. Um, really looking forward to today's conversation. We've got a great topic. We've got a great special guest to join us for the fun. So let's dive right in. So before we dive in, just a quick reminder that at the Growth Equation podcast, we do not have sponsors. We are not trying to sell you some magic mushroom supplement to make your life better. Instead, what we do is essentially sponsor ourselves through Patreon. If you join, you get all sorts of sweet goodies. You get to be part of the book club that just had Maria Konnikova on for a live Zoom Q&A, which was a lot of fun. And then also you get to support our work and get signed copies of our books. Brad has a new book coming out soon. So if you, you know, if you're going to pick that up anyways, you might as well join, get a signed copy delivered straight to your home so you can read it, enjoy it, all that good stuff. So check it out, uh, patreon.com slash the growth equation. And with that, let's jump into today's topic. All right. So today we are going to talk about um, what in sports circles is known as load management. And um, here to give us a primer on what in the world is going on in sports that people actually follow, uh, we got Jojo McDuffie, who has been a longtime friend and collaborator. So welcome, Jojo. You sent me a text earlier this week. You're like, shit's hitting the fan in the NBA. I said, I don't know what I'm talking about. Caitlin, my wife said, how do you not know what you're talking about? They're all spraining their ankles, high ankle sprains. So Jojo, what, what's going on in the NBA? Uh, let's tee up today's conversation. And for those listeners that are not diehard basketball fans, don't worry. We're going to go broad pretty quick. But um, we're going to start with the narrow and, and go universal. Yeah, well, uh, Steve and Brad, man, it's so good to see you guys. Uh, so good to be back on with you guys. I'm I'm excited to talk to adults. <laughs> it's been quite some time there. But yeah, so I, I sent you. Uh, Jojo has people. twins, by the way. And yes. a six, six-year-old, how old's your oldest? Uh, six, seven-year-old. Seven I think she's 17 right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, she's growing. She's growing fast. And awesome, uh, but yeah, the twins the twins are, are growing up, and it's it's pretty cool to watch. Um, but yeah, just happy to be talking to adults right now, to be honest with you. Um, and you know, Brad, the other day when I sent you that text, it's because I had just finished listening to the radio, and it was just all of these all these conversations about injuries. And so immediately I went and I started looking to see what was going on. And I, I saw something from the Associated Press um, where there was an article titled uh, NBA says injury rate is slightly down from normal. Uh, so it was one of those things where I saw that headline. I was like, OK, this is bullshit. What are we hiding right now? <laughs> and you start to you start to dig deep uh, down and you start to see LeBron James is injured, which he spent a significant amount of time um, on the injury list. And then you look at Anthony Davis and then you start going to James Harden and you had all of these prominent players that were on the injury list. And so immediately I had to send you a text was like, Brad, what's, what's going on, man? Are you, are you watching this? And uh, to my surprise, you were not paying attention <laughs> at all on this particular topic. <laughs> I was like, my, my growth equation guy is not paying attention to his own equation right now. <laughs> uh, man, I grew up in Detroit. I'm a Detroit Pistons fan. I tapped out in 2004 when they beat the Lakers 4-1 in that great series. Yeah. And things Brad, have not been the same since. <laughs> no, I went, I went out on top. They drafted Darko Milicek, and it was all downhill from there. <laughs> Brad spent too much time lifting and worrying about his own performance. So uh, no no more sports fan for Brad here. Oh, man, this, this is fascinating, JoJo, because unlike Brad, I do pay attention to basketball uh, and the NBA. So it is. It's been fascinating seeing this rash of injuries. And I saw the same article as you and, and and thought, hey, wait a minute. Like all these stars are injured, like injury rates are down. And then you start diving into it and you're like, okay, short, like 
long season last year because of COVID. They went in the bubble. The season went forever. Then very short off season, right? And then we jump into another season and it's like, oh, of of course. Of course they're dealing with this because we've jam-packed all this stress um, in a shorter amount of time period of players trying to play at their highest level. Of course, we're seeing this this occur. So what's going on with the AP's article claiming the injury rates are down? Are they using a, a, a weird way to calculate that metric or is it just pure yeah. propaganda? <clears throat> So it's it's really the NBA's response. They are the NBA is is saying that injuries are down, but also within the normal range or average over the past five years. Um, I think what stands out to me though is not only the prominent players that are that are out, it's also the injuries that are occurring. So you're getting a lot of soft tissue injuries and Achilles injuries, which, you know, Steve, you probably know this from all of your, your runners. Those are usually overuse injuries, right? No one's getting any, when, when you start sitting five, six games because of a soft tissue, that, that, there's something going on. Or if you're getting an Achilles tear, that's, that's a big deal. That's a real mm-hmm. big deal. And not to mention, I think, um, who was it? Uh, Jamal Murray. He just tore his ACL, which was like the fourth or fifth one in such a short season, right? So it was also the type of injuries that were popping up. I was like, yeah, guys, you, 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 you're spinning some BS to us all right now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing that I'd, I'd point out there is I think that AP article came out a couple weeks ago or that it was the data was from a couple weeks ago. And what it seems like the longer we've gone into this season – the more the fatigue accumulates, it's it's starting to hit that breaking point, right? Where those overuse injuries start showing up because it's a fatigue thing. The other thing that I saw, I found really interesting on this is that certain teams, which is what we're going to get into, are being uh, more proactive than others. So, for instance, uh, on the Clippers, right? Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, out of the 63 or so games that they've played or that the team has played, they've only played about 45, 46 of them. Joel Embiid out of the 76ers, who has a long injury history, out of the 63, 64 games, he's only played 42 games, right? So you have some teams, and not because of like, you know, some big injury, but because of deliberate sitting out. So some teams are saying, okay, we we see this problem. How are we going to address this so that we can last into the playoffs? And and the fancy term for that is load management, right? Managing the load, the load being the amount of stress that these players are putting on their bodies throughout an NBA season. And I think it's an important reminder too, because the little bit I do know about basketball LeBron, Anthony Davis, James Harden, these guys aren't youngsters that are brand new into the league. They also have the accumulated stress of playing at the highest level really since high school, then college, then multiple years in the NBA. In LeBron in particular, because every time I watch LeBron in awe, I look up his age and I realize that he's actually older than me. And I get that he's a pro athlete and he has a chef and masseuse and all this stuff to help him rest. But I mean, it's just tiring having a six month old German shepherd and a three year old. Like I need some load management (laughs) in my life. This dude's got two kids. He's been playing at the highest level forever. Um, It's pretty remarkable that they're not injured even more often. So I don't think this is necessarily a case of like, um, these guys are, you know, are fragile in any way. I think they are just completely overworked. So let's, before we talk about the anomaly with COVID in the short season, um, Steve, cause this is something that you've ranted to me about on the phone, just how absurd the actual normal NBA regular season is with the travel, the sleep irregularities, all of that. Yeah. So this is interesting uh, because if you look at the NBA season, normally it's 82 games um, in the season. I don't remember how jam-packed it is, but it's pretty jam-packed with multiple games every single week, 
right? So what happens, and also what happens is games finish late at night, and a lot of teams, not all, but depends on some, a lot of teams choose right after the game, hop on their jet, fly back. So you've got this sleep issue. You've got this fatigue issue as they you know, fly back, then have maybe a day off and then go to their next game, right? You've got this accumulation of fatigue issue and it's really difficult to deal with. And, you know, some data on this <coughs> is back in 2018, there was a study that looked at three years of NBA. So 2012 to 2015 season. And they found that the odds of injury increased by about by about 3% for every 96 minutes played. And then get this, decreased by 15.9% for every rest day. So that tells you the, the power of rest in terms of injury, like prevention, is incredible. But because it's entertainment, value, all that stuff, they jam-pack the games in there. And the other way I like to look at this is, if we were only concerned about performance and we said, hey, we want LeBron every game he shows up to be able to perform at his best, how frequently would we play? Well, we know from it's a different sport, but we know from track, which is almost 100 percent physical, right, is that you can't perform at your best like every day, every week or what have you. If we were looking at it, you could perform at your best about every 10 to 14 days, roughly, depending on the event. So what what we have here in the NBA is this compromise between performance and entertainment, because entertainment, we got to play enough games back to back, you know, frequently in order to keep the fans and the narrative going. Yeah, so so I get to play MC since I don't know much about the the actual content. So before I go over to JoJo, when Steve says that track is physical and Jojo and I look at each other and smile, he's not saying physical in the sense like it's a collision sport. He's saying that there is very little skill. Oh, I'm going to get reamed by the track coaches. I'm not talking about the throws or the jumps, but running around a track doesn't require a jump shot, passing, running different plays. What he means is it's a sport that's very much determined by the state that your body is in the day of a race. Um, so... Track's not a physical sport, Steve. Sorry. Um, all right. Going to JoJo now. Um, well, no, not physical in the way like a collision sport. JoJo and I both looked at each other when you said track was physical and we both just smiled. But I, I get what you mean. Track is really tough. And, and 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 if you are a runner, you know how to hurt much better than I do. So I have no right to poke fun. Um, all right. So then JoJo, why why can't coaches just sit players out? And like what what happens when... Coaches try to sit players out because in theory, if you have a star, Steve mentioned that the Clippers might have done this or have done this, you would just rest your players um, and you would kind of ignore what the media says. I mean, is like, is the owner's association getting mad? What's stopping more teams from just resting their players? Yeah, it's, it's the it's the league. And you, first you got you got people complaining when stars like LeBron James don't play when they come to their city. You know, if uh, the Lakers came even during to- COVID. Whoa, 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 hold on. Even during COVID when there's oh, no yeah. real crowds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. They, they want them to be there present and, and playing. Um, you, you mentioned kind of pre-COVID, right? I think, Steve, you may know the year, but I think it was like 2012 or something like that when um, Greg Popovich from the San Antonio Spurs was fined like $200,000, $300,000 because he decided to sit Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and a couple of other players, and they fined him. And I, I love Greg Popovich. I don't care what anybody says about him. That guy on all fronts, whether it's basketball or social injustice, He's just going to shoot you straight. And his response to that was, well, this it's it's pretty logical. Like it seemed like the smart thing to do to me. So, you know, we'll pay the fine. And this whole load management conversation started then. And so the NBA, you know, to kind of answer your question, the NBA has been imposing fines when you sit players who have not been listed on the injury list. But it like 
it makes sense. Rest your players. It's a long ass season. Eighty in the regular NBA, season is eighty two games. So the logical thing is cut the season to like forty games. But the NBA doesn't want to do that because that's forty less times to sell ticket, parking, merchandise, add dollars on TV, on and on. Well, you, you take 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 this for example. Then this is what they did this year. They said, "Hey, instead of us playing a uh, instead of us playing eighty two game season, which is you know about one hundred and eighty days, I think it's one hundred and seventy seven to be exact." They said, "Let's reduce it by ten games and do that in one hundred and forty six games and one hundred and forty six days." Excuse me, like condensing season. So typically, you will have a full month to play another 10 games to get to that 182. So they shortened the season. Can but not can, only but they compressed it, compressed it. Exactly. And you're doing that only what the season 2020 season ended in like October or something like that. And then you say, let's play Christmas time frame to get this thing back going. And, and let me get you straight though. So the whole sell was that it's going to be a shorter season but what you're saying is even though it's a shorter season, there's less rest in between games, which not only means less like, you know, the, the, going back to what Steve said is it, that also means that it's tighter travel. So it's not only like you're not getting to rest your body in between the physical act of running up and down a court for 48 minutes. It also means that you've got to hop on those planes faster. Well, yeah. And so if you think about this with the COVID protocol, some of those guys that were hanging around to, you know, ice themselves and take a, you know, another flight or something home, they can't do that. Um, and so they don't have that recovery time that they would typically have because they have to rush back to the hotel and then they're not getting back to the room, like Steve said, until like two o'clock, but then they got to wake up by like nine o'clock or even earlier than that to do a COVID protocol procedure and whatnot. And so shooter rounds are down. They, they're not getting their rest. Like it, it sucks. It just sounds like a whole lot of suck attached to about 10 to $20 million, you know, but it sounds like a whole lot of suck to me. You, you know, Jojo brings up a really good point there in the sense that we often think of load management in terms of games played, but it's also what you're doing outside of those games. So for instance, even before COVID, um, because of the the recognition of the load that these guys were on and their lack of recovery, you started having teams just start taking out practices, right? Morning shoot-arounds, uh, just cut it, let them sleep, right? You have, like, decrease in terms of even things like lifting and all that stuff, which can contribute to injury risk over the long haul. But it's it's almost become, it almost became this, like, okay, we've got all this stress, how do we pull everything back, like strip away everything that doesn't matter and just kind of like manage that? And I think that's where, again, we get in this kind of rough place because we're balancing this performance and entertainment. And part of performance isn't just showing up and playing the games, but it's maintaining your strength, speed, agility, um, even your learning of, you know, the plays, practice, drills, etc., uh, to last you throughout a, a season. And all that's come under fire too. So when teams like Clippers rest their players, are they just getting fined and just paying the fine? So it, it depends on the game. Um, there's I, I haven't read the rules lately, but there's uh, the fines are often tied to national TV games. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's just a business. I mean, not, it's, clearly it's a business. Um, so, all right. So then before we shift gears from basketball, it, like where's, what's the end game here? Are the players going to demand with their union that the season shrinks? Are the owners just going to try to throw more money at them? Because these guys don't want their careers to be shortened because that's not good for their pocketbook or their love of the game. So, you know, the part of that is that the players, the union, the league, this was a mutual agreement. So it this j- didn't just happen, right? So that's that's part of it. One of the reasons why it is a compressed season is that it's also an Olympic year. 
And so you got to get those games in before we move over to, you know, Olympic practice and things like that. Um, and so the players, I've only read in one article where there is a, a player who was out because of a jam thumb who basically said, we can't do this anymore uh, because the injury rates are are, are are so high right now. Well, according to the NBA, not high. It, it definitely seems like there are a lot more injuries right now than, you know, we've seen before. Yeah. You know, the only thing I'd add on there is it's always going to be a balance. And I know you're going to hate this, Brad, but I'm going to bring track back into this topic. Because... No, I don't. I don't hate it. Track and field. I love track and field. So OK. I don't know what but, you're talking about. So... I used to love the long distance stuff, but now I love the throws because <laughs> now I'm, I'm a strong guy. All right. So the thing about track is it goes in the other extreme, right? It says the performance is all that matters. So what you have is you have athletes who will literally take, you know, a month between performances, line it up so it's perfect, right? And then go out and perform and then disappear for a month. Well, from an entertainment value, that's horrible because you can't follow along anything and see your best athletes perform, right? So, like, there's always going to be this interplay between performance and entertainment. And I think what you're going to continue to see is that the season might get adjusted a little bit, but you're going to see this battle between, like, individual teams and coaches who are in the forefront and thinking, okay, I need to rest my players to keep them healthy and more so to keep them healthy and ready to go for the playoffs versus the league, which is going to continually push to you know get these guys to play every every game or what have you to sell tickets and i think i i think it'll just kind of be that battle for a while of how how much resting recovery can a coach like popovich or other coach teams like the clippers or 76ers get away with without pissing the nba off we're just going to we're going to have a contingency fund. We're going to have a contingency fund. You know, if you're going to keep finding us for arresting these players, doing what, you know, what's smart, what every strength and conditioning coach should probably be telling these guys, we're going to have a contingency fund to go ahead and pay that fine. If 250 is what it is, we've got it. Let's let's go ahead right. and do it's, it. It's because owners, the end goal is a championship, right? Right, exactly. And the championships worth so much more. Um to, to prove that I like track and field, it's not just the athletes that take all this rest between performances. It's also the play-by-play announcers that need rest within the performance. Every single major running event I've ever watched, they find a way to cut away at like the most exciting part of the race to go show like the prelim from the Javelin Junior Championship. It's like, you know, Shalane and Mary Katani are battling out at mile 24 and then they take me to watch a eighth grader throwing a javelin, but I digress. Um, so I was thinking the same thing is is you, and I think that's a really good way to frame it, Steve. Like this trade off. Uh, another question I have is: so there's home court advantage in the playoffs. Sure, that's no doubt an advantage. But at some point, teams are just going to say the advantage of having a fresh roster outweighs home court advantage. So why don't I just sneak in at like a six seed every single year and not really worry about how I place in the regular season? So that's kind of like my first question. And then my second question, yeah, around that contingency fund, you know, you said as much, Jojo, a championship to the owners in merchandise and ad dollars and all that is worth so much more. You know, you could pay three hundred thousand dollars a night probably and end up on top if it if it leads to a deeper playoff run. So yeah, this is interesting, Brad. I think it's I think some teams are already making this calculation. I mean, I don't have proof behind that, but again, if you look at let's take the Philadelphia 76ers, right? I mentioned earlier that their star player, Joel Embiid, has sat out a lot of games. If you look at the record without him playing, they're nine and ten, right? So I, I, I bet, so they're like a just under 500 team. So I, I bet what they're doing is they're calculating and they're sitting there being like, well, you know, how many of these 500 like can games can we take with still putting us where we need to be in the playoff hunt? Yeah. Nerd out question on basketball here. See, I know, I know a thing or two. So Joel Embiid, 
the reason that I know him is because I really enjoyed following the Sixers um, when they were rebuilding. And he's a guy that took a lot of slack for kind of like dogging it and just sitting out at the three-point line and shooting jump shots. Whereas whenever he plays hard in the post, he's just dominant. No one can stop him, it seems. And it makes you wonder if it's not that Joel Embiid wasn't trying, you know, quote unquote, trying the last couple of years. Maybe he's just tired. Like he's a seven footer. He's got to carry that body around with him everywhere he goes. And it's also interesting to think when these guys take so much slack, it could just be, no, man, like it's I mean, from the little basketball I played back in the day, it's a lot easier on your body to sit out at the three point line and shoot threes than it is to go bang in the post every night. Um, has he been playing a more physical brand of basketball this year? His game has changed this year, uh, but I, I wouldn't say it, his big ass belongs under the post. <laughs> it, right, but that's what I'm saying. Is he doing yeah, that now? Yeah, he, he is doing that. He's playing much better. But again, like you said, he's almost a seven footer. And so the wear, wear and tear on him, he's play, he's using a little bit of strategy plus a little bit of laziness at times, which has been a knock on him over his career. Um, but he is playing much, much better. I think there's a sense of urgency behind him, but that's a whole different conversation. But yes, playing, playing better. You, you know, it reminds me, though, of the stat. I don't know from this year, but from LeBron James a couple years ago that looked at, you know, the average speed of the NBA players, right? And LeBron was, I believe, for that one of the years I looked it up, the slowest player, like on average. And the reason isn't because, like, you know, LeBron is slow. It's because he was literally conserving his effort for when he needed to, like, turn it on. I remember you know? last year in the playoffs, you don't need GPS data. You could just launch LeBron, and he's kind of going through the motions, and he's still generally the best player on the court. But then there are these instances where he's like, all right, like, it's on now. And then it's just like a whole new LeBron. And yeah, at age 35 or 36, whatever he is, you can't be on the whole time. So there's like, there's so many different ways to think about it. There's the formal issue of a coach is going to rest a player. They're literally going to show up to the game in street clothes. Then there is coaches are going to give players permission to dog it. Like, okay, you're going to fine us. Like we'll play, we'll play Bron like 18 minutes instead of 38. We'll camp him out on the baseline in the corner and he'll smile and like wave at kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you guys remember a couple years ago when uh, Kawhi Leonard went to the Toronto Raptors? So prior to that, he had some injuries, right? And so upon his arrival, I mean, he barely played the entire season. They get to the playoffs, and it's like, oh, turn it up a notch. It's on, and they win a championship. I mean, what? It's because he took some time to take care of himself so that he can be prepared for the playoffs. Because if you're thinking about what outcome is every team looking for, and that's to win a championship. And so they should not be fine for coming up with a appropriate strategy to help them reach that outcome. Yeah, 100% agree. All right, so I promised that we'd, we'd get beyond basketball a little, and, and here's my attempt at a transition. So we're just starting to see the other side of a pandemic. People have lost family members. People have lost jobs. And even super fortunate people like myself that haven't lost either of those things still have had to parent at home, shift in their working conditions, um, many people have had to move geographies or have chosen to move. So all kinds of quote unquote stress over the last year and a half. And I wonder what does load management look like for the law firm or the bank or the gym manager or the writer or the teacher? Uh, man, talk about an area where we could use some load management or teachers over the last year. But A, is this on anyone's radar? And then B, I think the tougher question societally is NBA basketball stars are really rare. There aren't a whole lot of James Harden, Kawhi Leonard's, LeBron James, Joel Embiid's. Sadly, the prevailing wisdom, and I'm not agreeing with this, but what an administrator would say is, oh, teachers are a dime a dozen. You know, Rachel burns out. Great. We'll hire Jim next year. 
um, bankers, lawyers, whatever. Like there, it's almost like parts are parts in a lot of the economy. And I wonder if there's going to be attention to kind of easing people back in, or if it's just going to be whatever you burn out, we'll replace you. And I know people are probably shrugging their heads and being like, you got three millennials on here talking about load management in a corporate workplace, you know, go at your avocado toast. Um, but I'd push back and I'd say like, no, I actually think it's a legit thing. And it's why so many people are burnt out. And particularly if, if, if you have that mindset, then it's like, what are you so proud of that you can make yourself miserable and sick from working all the time and not caring about like the human underneath that? So I don't know. That's a little bit of a rant into the second part of the conversation, which is an MBA is the extreme of the extreme in terms of talent and physical stress. But everyone, in a sense, is going to be experiencing like a quote unquote compressed season as we try to return to something that is closer to normal. You, you know, there was a wonderful piece in the Washington Post the other day that looked at some of the data on um, jobs, right, and labor. And they found, their analysis found that it's not a labor shortage that is causing a slowdown in uh, people getting back to work to degree. Instead, it's what they call this great reassessment, where people are sitting there being like, um, I don't want to go back and work this crappy job that kills me for low pay anymore. Like, we've just gone through this crazy pandemic, which allows you to, like, stressful times allow you to step back like be reflective and say, what are you want wanting to do? And people are searching for jobs that not only give them more in terms of finances, but also more in terms of, in terms of meaning. So I think to, to a large degree, you're seeing that and speaking on the teaching side, I guarantee you that's gonna, gonna happen. Um, coming from my wife as an elementary school teacher, I'm at least aware on the conversations that happen, but there's going to be an epidemic of just kind of burnout and reassessing in fields like teaching, which had to, you know, in large parts of the country had to do two jobs at once of like teaching in person online, all this, all this stuff. Um, and I think, you know, Brad, one th more thing that I think you said there is that a lot of times in these industries, we think of them as replacement industries, whether in sport, we don't to degree. And I think that shows a lack of foresight on the importance of talent and talent management in some of these industries where in sport, you know, regardless of if it's professional NBA or even college or high school, like anybody who's coached at any level knows like, oh man, I get a talented kid. Like I can't just replace them. You know, I got to do my best to develop that talent because even even in your high school track or basketball team or whatever have you, replacing talent is very difficult. And I think that's that's one of those mistakes we make. We're replacing good, talented teachers or office managers or whatever is much harder than we give it credit for. The, um, the writer Ann Helen Peterson had this great line maybe two weeks ago, but um, very much on jobs that are around minimum wage. So um, a lot of like fast food, Starbucks types jobs, and, and I probably shouldn't include Starbucks because they, my understanding is they pay quite well and cover education. But uh, certainly here in North Carolina, you drive past any fast food place and it's like now hiring, you know, $200 cash bonus. And the common pushback is we'll see this is what happens when you get a stimulus check and you get sent money in the mail and you know people should be working. And Ann Helen Peterson just said, or another way to think about it is if you can't pay your people a living wage and give them health care, maybe you shouldn't be a business. Like this isn't a problem with stimulus checks. This is a wonderful thing because it's saying that, hey, you know, maybe instead of having 900 million McDonald's in America, we only need 300 million and they can pay their people a little bit more and treat them better. Um, and, and, and I tend to very much agree, but my hunch is that most listeners of this podcast aren't people that are working around minimum wage jobs. They're probably people that are either in coaching or teaching professions or more, um, what I'd call like 
professional services firms. So consultants, lawyers, we got a bunch of doctors that listen. So Jojo, you work with a lot of athletes, but you also work in a large academic institution. You work with professionals. How would you think about someone coming to you being like, man, like, you know, I get a good salary. I get healthcare. I like my job, but you know, hell it's you. I have two twins. There's a pandemic. Like I could just ask, how are you managing this in your own life? Yeah. So, uh, Man, first, I'm I'm a huge planner, so I I know my schedule top down, and you know I I'll just give you two a shout out because peak performance really changed how I looked at my planning throughout the day and what I was giving my time to, um, and so scheduling, knowing when I'm going to work out, knowing how many appointments I'm going to take per day, just really taking control of my time and owning my time and not giving that to anyone. Um, that, that was a huge help for me in terms of my clients. Ironically, I had this conversation actually this morning, I have a client, um, I won't say what they do, but they're pretty high level recently went on a vacation. She gets back and the challenge presented to this person was, how in the hell do I play catch up? I leave. I've got 120 uh, emails. I come back. I've got 870 emails in my inbox. I can't take a vacation because when I get back, it's even more stress on me than before. And so what we're finding is that folks in that position, when they are on vacation, they are taking calls. They are checking emails. They have to avoid the stress of what happens when they come back. Exactly. So there's this inability to disconnect. And so, you know, go back to, you know, um, what Cal Newport's life without email. (laughs) Like it's, it's, it's a huge thing here at a university where we have tons, if you can see some of the stuff a dean of students office has to go through, like they never go on vacation. They can't. They're on call. They get calls. The higher you're up, the more you're involved in no matter what happens. And so I I think part of it is just you got to find a way to disconnect, but also as an employer, you have to allow for your team to actually have a real break because if you come back, your, your level of stress is like worse than before you left. Yeah. So what I, what I tend to do with coaching clients in this situation is they're either going to put up an autoresponder email that says, I'm on vacation. I'm not reading this email now. I won't be reading it when I get back. If it's urgent, get in touch with me in three weeks or whenever I'm back or Some of the best advice I got ever early in my career was from uh, a vice president at a huge healthcare organization. And she basically said, you know, the key to doing this job well is you got to be comfortable letting 90% of things fall through the cracks. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's like terrible advice. She's like, no, no, no. She's like, in any big organization, there's only about 10% of things that really matter. Just ignore the other 90%. So her advice is like, you're coming from vacation. You got a bunch of emails. If it's really important, they'll pick up the phone and call you. But it takes a lot of courage to sit there with an inbox of 800 and just hit, you know, delete all. Um, or you could be like Steve and just never respond to any emails when you're not on vacation. I mean, my, my, my thought process is, hey, if, if there's a fire in Virginia and I'm on vacation in Florida, why the hell are you calling me? There's nothing I can do for you at that point in time. Like, I am the last person you should be calling to help you out and asking what to do. Yeah. Well, I think, all right. So then coming back to, to what you, what you said and what I asked is what I'm hearing you say is really be pretty concrete about energy management, how you schedule your time. And even like, think of yourself as an athlete, even if you're a corporate athlete. Um, I think there was a book called corporate athlete a long time ago and in, how do you manage your own load? And a lot of people's pushback to this is, well, I don't have autonomy in my job to do that. But I would say that most people have some degree of autonomy to 
decide when they're going to be doing deep focus work, when they're going to be doing more of the administrative playing catch up work. And if you're in a culture where you can't, I have no problem saying this. You can point to me and I'll take responsibility if your boss gets mad. Just make up stuff on your calendar. Like put in a block of time that says like, you know, meeting to review document for Project Hive for two hours, once a week, standing time. And that becomes your deep work time. Um, So because I do think that the bigger the corporation, the more there is like a a focus on just doing work, 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 and the less this kind of raster load management is taken seriously, but also the more BS there is. Um, so I think the ability to just block off time for yourself, whether that is to do deep work, which is really energizing if otherwise you're in meetings, um, or to even like take an afternoon off, uh, should be totally fine. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier regarding, um, teachers, you know, we're coming up on basically summer break, which means there's a chance for a summer school. I wonder if that's even going to happen. Um, Is that going to happen? How many teachers actually want to sign up for that? Um, It's I've just been really impressed. You know, you guys mentioned I have a seven year old. We had conferences with teachers all throughout the spring and they had to call at least 15 to 20 students per class for COVID updates. How's your child doing? How are they handling things? You have all that stress that teachers were going through planning and stuff. But then after work hours, you know, they have to make all these phone calls and like their cycle has not stopped. So in my mind, I'm thinking if I'm a teacher, do I want to put up with this bullshit come June 15th or whenever summer school starts? Like, I might even be second guessing if I want to remain a teacher wherever I'm at because the level of stress that's been put on them, which I also hear there's a lack of assistance there as well from, you know, the top. Like, I just I just really feel feel for the teachers, but I greatly appreciate them to the highest level. Well, I'll go in real quick with my broad sweeping answer, and then I'll let Steve, who who lives with a teacher, you know, get into the weeds. But to me, like, this is something that we don't have to overcomplicate. Anyone that reported over a million dollars in income over COVID should be taxed at X percent, and all those tax dollars should go directly to writing people that taught through the pandemic checks the end. Like if we truly valued our teachers, this is not a hard decision to make specifically because so many of those people that are pulling in over a million dollars probably have kids that are at schools. So that's what I would do if I had like God power, but I don't. <laughs> I would approve that, uh, that God power there for that. Yeah. Reason. Cause you'd be getting the check. Yeah. <laughs> well, your wife would, that's right. Um, no. So, you know, from on the ground again, my own experience with my wife is that, uh, there's a big hesitancy for summer school um, because like the, the teachers who normally would even do it or consider signing up are thinking, oh, my gosh, I need this summer break more now so than ever. Right. Because, you know, a, a lot of times we forget it's not even just this year. It's last year when COVID hit in March is they had to scramble and figure out, okay, how do I do a new, completely new job for a bunch of them, which is teach online or send stuff home for kids and figure that out on the fly. So it's been going on for, you know, over a year uh, where it's kind of on the fly learning a new craft as you go. Um, So there's a huge hesitancy. And what I've seen and kind of looking at experiencing talking is, is that unfortunately the ones who are going to do it are for summer school are the ones who like need the financial boost, right? Because we don't value our teachers that much. So we don't pay them that much. So an extra, you know, two, $3,000, whatever it is to teach in the summer, like matters a whole heck of a lot, especially given, you know, COVID and all that stuff. So that's kind of what, what you're seeing now. And I also think you, you are seeing 
at least you did at, at especially like mid year at um, winter break is you're seeing, you were seeing a large number of teachers either retire or look for another profession, which again comes back to that talent management in the sense that if we push talented people over the edge, sure, we can bring in bright, bright eyed, new people, new people, but like, we're not going to get that quality of education that I think you could get if you kept good, talented people who already knew the system and developed over time in, in the education sector. And the kids get screwed either way. Cause you know, summer school is often a time when kids that have struggled get to catch up. So they're not held back or get some extra attention or retake a course, whatever it is. And you're either going to have teachers that are totally burnt out and rightfully tired, or you're not going to have summer school at all. Um, So I don't know, this just gets to a larger conversation about what society says that we value as quote unquote essential workers, but then how we actually value those workers. Um, Because the resources are there to compensate these people and to give them support. We would just rather have nice commercials honoring them instead of actually giving them the the resources and the support. Well, hey, I, I, I hope I can get my wife to listen to this episode, but uh, shout out to her because Teacher Appreciation Week comes around. My daughter's teachers get loaded. She took a ton of stuff to, to daycare as well. It's like, hey, thank you for watching over my babies during this time. I know it's not easy, but just a high level of appreciation. But it, it should be more than just, you know, a single teacher appreciation week. Right. Like your wife shouldn't have to do that. None of us should because like they should right. get compensated closer to investment bankers um, and, and we'd be fine. Um, this gets to something else, man. It's a lightning rod topic, but I think we should talk about it because we've got 10 minutes. So the other day, Steve texted me. So the, the most recent episode um, is on divorce in really high level quote unquote pushers. And the conversation veers into CEO territory. And as a part of the conversation, we started looking up how many billionaires there are in America. The number was 613. Um, And Steve texts me. He's like, you know, I was thinking LeBron James is probably the most underpaid employee in America. JoJo's making a face, but I buy it. So say more, Steve. Well, here's what I'm thinking, right? If you have these these CEOs of these major companies, right, they have no cap, right? They can make however much, you know, they want. And it and for the top CEOs, it's it's like absurd. It's way beyond, you know, um way beyond LeBron. But then if you look at at um so for instance, uh Elon Musk's total granted compensation last year was two point two billion. It looks like now that includes like stock options and all that that stuff. Um, but you can look at the top fifty CEOs and how much they made, and they're well into the the double digit million for last year. And you start looking at and you're saying, well, why do they get paid that much? And it's there's no cap. Right. It's whatever it's capitalism at its finest. It's whatever someone is willing to say you're worth. You're going to get paid that. Well, let's look at LeBron James. Right. LeBron is, you know, you know, now he's kind of on the downward stroke, but still one of the best players for his entire career. He's been one of the best in history, arguably the second best. You could make the argument best, but probably behind Jordan. Um, But we can have that argument another time. But he's one of the best in history. But throughout his his career, he has a cap every single year because the NBA says, you know, salary cap. You can't play your your max contract is this. You can't pay. You can't play pay them more. So if LeBron or the NBA or sport in general, NFL has a similar thing with salary caps. If you opened it up, like you know, CEO World America, what would LeBron be paid? You know. I could, I could see it going 
nuts into several fold higher than he could. If you get some, again, billionaire saying, you know what? I don't care. I want a championship on this team. LeBron, here's triple your salary. Come play for me and let's win the championship. I mean, I'm going to go pay a couple other superstars, triple their salary for the year to just win us NBA championship. Yeah. And I think the immediate pushback would be financially that LeBron can engage in unabashed capitalism in terms of um, like sponsorships and in representing shoe companies and whatnot. But that aside, it still is a very interesting thing to think about salary caps in sports. And my understanding is it's because all the owners kind of had like a treaty where they're like, all right, guys, like we don't want to drive each other broke. And it is guys. I don't think there are any women owners in the NBA, maybe one or two, but predominantly guys is uh, Bill Simmons at the ringer says it is one big, you know, what swing contest. And they're like, all right, like, let's let's be reasonable here. This is the salary cap. Um, it would be really interesting if that went away. Would you just have the same 50 CEOs that you're looking at, Steve, all get into basketball? And you'd have Elon Musk would be the Space Jam team. Um, and, and he'd pay the players whatever. I don't know. Jojo, how do you think about this? I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like football owners wish they could do what basketball owners do and basketball owners wish they could do what baseball owners do. And baseball is looking at soccer and like, damn, they are throwing out a ton of cash. So yeah, it it is just a big, big swinging contest that's happening. But um, man, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting question. What would he actually be worth? I mean, if you take everything that he has going on currently, not just basketball, but then he also has um, his agency firm, right? Uh, He's got a few more projects on the side, film companies and things of that nature, uh, shoes. What what would that number actually be if they had to take that and pay him in terms of basketball? Well, celebritynetworth.com says it's a hundred million no. a year. It's what? A hundred million. I mean, I don't know what the hell celebritynetworth.com is, if that's a reputable source. But there, CBS Sports said in February of this year, he surpassed a billion dollars in career earnings. But this includes... Um, oh, yeah, this is reputable. I mean, if you trust CBS Sports, this includes ad dollars and sponsorship. So James will earn $95.4 million this season. Roughly 31.4 will come from his encore earnings. And then the remaining 60 and change comes from endorsements. So they're not making the majority of money from the actual sport. And don't get me wrong. I don't think any of us are saying that like they need more than, you know, $31 million to, to live, but Maybe the real question is, why don't we have a salary cap for CEOs? Um, and going back to last episode, get my trophy idea. I mean, this all comes together. Here we go. This, 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 this is um, not a political podcast. This is just a common sense podcast. Get the Stanley Cup trophy for CEOs that if you get over a billion dollars, you get your name scribbled on the trophy. Every, every dollar above a billion is taxed at 80 to 90%. Use that money to pay teachers so that they're not miserable and they're being compensated. And then, you know, give the CEOs a championship ring because it, at that level of money, I know I sound like a broken record from last episode. It's really just all about status. It's kind of what they do in basketball. They get a trophy and a championship ring. LeBron is not playing. If you told LeBron, I'll give you a $100 million salary, but you can't compete for a championship, or I'll give you $10 million, but you can compete for a championship. My guess is he'd take the $10 million and compete. And my guess is that if you introduced a trophy for billionaires and you told Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk, hey, we're going to cut your salary to a measly billion dollars, but you get to compete for this trophy and you get to show your fancy cocktail party people this trophy, they'd be like, oh, sign me up. I want the trophy. And then you could pay the teachers. So I just got I hope a politician's listening to this. Probably not, but maybe we can get get one. They'll probably think we're crazy. But it, it it's interesting, and that's the greater reason I, I texted this to you, Brad. It's not because I think LeBron necessarily should earn, you know, hundreds of millions or whatever, whatever it is, doesn't matter to me. But 
it's interesting because think of it this we accept a salary cap in sport very easily right but if we if tomorrow you know Brad Stolberg, the senator, gets up and introduces a salary cap for, you know, the top paying CEOs that we the world would lose it. The country would lose it. I feel like they'd be like, you can't you can't like cap people. But then in this in these sports dominated again by minorities, it's just kind of like salary cap it like it's sport. I don't know what that says or it's, if that's right or wrong, but I think it's very interesting. And so what, what reason do you think that they would give? Why, why would they want, why would they want to keep a salary cap, right? In professional sports, but not in terms of CEOs. I think in the, in the, the sport arena, the excuse that's probably going to be used is to level the playing field, Right. So I want to keep my privilege and my advantage, but everything under me needs to be a level playing field. I would I would completely agree. And in and, and they'd say that, well, in sport they're they're competing for something. But again, to my point, in business, you're competing for something too. So give them a trophy. And I actually don't think these people are inherently evil. I think if you could give people a trophy and a special ring that you get when you're in the billion dollar club, they would be glad to give their money to taxes, especially if they'd be looked at like LeBron James, Elon Musk. Wow. You made $20 billion this year. You funded $19 billion worth of teachers bonuses. We're going to you know, give you a, a shoe deal for this Elon Musk, and you're going to get a cool ring that you can show all your friends. I think he'd say Yes. I really do think it's a cultural thing. I think that people with that much money just want, I mean, shit, even myself, man, and I don't have nearly that much money. We're doing division by a billion. But like at a certain point, I would rather a book sell X amount of copies than get a check for an additional $20,000, $30,000. And that's purely status. So we are driven by status, all of us. So I, I think it could work, my, my, my trophy. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I, in I terms of CEOs are probably also thinking like some of them just so damn cocky. It's that more more like a um, Simon Sinek standpoint of like we're playing a completely different game. It is it is me versus me. No other company is even on my level, and that's that's a lot of ego, of course. Um, but I, I think some of them look at it that way as well. But that's fine. What I'm saying is channel that ego. Let them make let them make a gazillion dollars and then they get the they get the biggest ring that says that they made the most money, but still all that money like pay teachers in quote unquote essential workers essential salaries. Hey man, I'll yeah, like it. I mean it's I'll like it. It's it's interesting because that ego is channeled to a degree right now it's just channeled into buying sports teams. Right? Because like <laughs> that's the trophy. That's a great story coming yes, full circle. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, no 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 one really invests I mean, maybe now, but no one really invests in sports teams to make money because they know they're they're they might over the long haul, but they're not sold very often to quote unquote, you know, make their money. They're kept in the family for a really long time unless something happens. So it's all about okay. Like I want a championship and I want to, you know, this is me ego trying to, trying to hold the trophy up next to the people who actually did the work, the LeBrons or the Tom Brady's or whoever is the owner is right there next to them, you know, when they win their championship, holding it up, like they did something. So it's ego driven there. Yeah. Wow. Well, per the usual, we went in all kinds of interesting directions, but, um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I got to learn a lot about what's going on in the NBA right now. So when I talk to Caitlin, she'll be very impressed. I'll hold my own. Uh, Caitlin being my wife, for listeners that don't know, she is a diehard, I just call it major sports fan, but particularly basketball. She just loves the NBA. Um, And uh, yeah, so hopefully this was entertaining and you got some insights that you can take outside of, uh, of just sport. And thinking about uh, load management in your own life, if you're in a leader per- leadership position in an organization, thinking about load management there. Um, if you're running for office, hopefully you've got a new policy platform. 
um, to to have unabashed capitalism, but aim towards a trophy, and yeah. then unabashed redistribution to teachers and people doing really important work that I think most people would agree are undercompensated. Um, so uh, yeah, that's a wrap. Remember that you can support us uh, at www.patreon backslash the growth equation. Um, this podcast is independent. We don't take sponsorship. Uh, if you do support us, you get all kinds of neat stuff. Ebooks delivered to your inbox right away. Signed copies of my and Steve's forthcoming books. A mastermind group, which Jojo himself participates in. Uh, so all kinds of good stuff. Um, so check us out there. And uh, until next week, be well. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.